draw your attention to this card in your bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin, maybe you can grab one on the way out. But this would be a good visual to kind of put up on your refrigerator or in your Bible, in your morning devotions or whatever the case may be, uh, just to kind of keep them in mind and in thought. And oh, I just, I also want to, sorry, Joel. I, I'm, yeah, anyway. So if you would like to sow into his ministry today, you can do that on your way out. You can drop a check, make it, you know, make it payable to the church, but put in the memo, memo that is for Joel and his ministry. Or if you have cash, you can put it in an envelope. Make sure that you notify that you want it to go to him and his ministry and his family. We're going to give them an honorarium, but if you would like to sow in and above and beyond that, you're welcome to do that. But what Joel has to share today is so important for us. And I think it's a great way to start the year because we need to remember that it's not about just us. There's a work that God is doing all over this world, and we want to be a, we want to be involved in that and a part of that. So, Joe, we welcome you. Thank God you. bless you as you bring Thank the word you. today. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Um, it's been really good to be here. We've been here actually, I think, exactly a month, and we have um, a little over a week left till we head back home to Mwanza. The kids will need to get back to school. It starts tomorrow, but. Uh, they're going to miss two weeks of school or so and um, get back to our routine there and everything going on. But it's been really good to be here, and it's been really cold. Um, <laughs> but uh, especially this last weekend is very, very cold. We thought it was cold. We got here on December 2nd, and it was very windy, very, very windy, and the jet bridge was broken, so you had to walk outside, and we all thought, oh, my gosh, it's freezing. And my sister says, it's 44 degrees. It's not cold. <laughs> Uh, and then we went out and lit off a few fireworks at about 7 o'clock, not midnight, but about 7 o'clock uh, two nights ago. And we came in and she said, now is that cold or was it cold when you got here? So <laughs> it was definitely much colder, the tin below. Uh, but we've been having fun and uh, it's been great to be here. Before I want to start, I just want to give some mentions of some people who are not here today um, and some who are here, I've had some friends come visit who aren't from Abundant Life. Thank you for visiting, Ron and Susan. And um, also some who are no longer with us. We've had financial partners. In the last three and a half years since we weren't in the States, we had five financial partners from this church pass away. And I just want to mention their names. Joy Boyd, who was a member of this church for a very long time. In recent years, because of health, she wasn't here. Uh, she passed away this last year. Juanita Clemens. Um, faithfully uh, prayed and supported us financially. Uh, Liberty Rich, we're, we're very sorry. Um, she's not with us. Uh, we love very much. And Charlie No has passed away this year. And Gary Peltema. Um, Gary Peltema, I remember him most um, for what we call a Pentecostal handshake. That's what my cousins told me they were called. And a Pentecostal handshake, Gary was very great at them. And I missed them very much because he would fold up like a $20 bill or a $50 bill, and he would shake your hand and leave it in your hand. <laughs> um, so we miss those people, and uh, we're thankful they are um, in a better place rejoicing with the Father. Um, so as Pastor Tim said, we are missionaries in Mwanza, Tanzania. And in the country of Tanzania, we have a language called the Swahili language. It is a very big language used in many East African countries, but especially in Tanzania. And uh, I have learned to speak Swahili over the years. Um, my wife and children make fun of how I say the word cow in Swahili because I can't say it 
but I have tried to learn. They're just joking and good fun, but I've tried to learn the language well, but there is one Swahili word I want to teach everybody today, and you might all already know it, and it's very easy, and the word is safari. Does everybody know the word safari? Okay. The word safari, when we say it in America, we think of um, getting in a 4 by 4 vehicle and looking at animals in Africa. Um, but what a safari is, that is a safari in the Swahili language, but it also is the word for journey or a trip. So I'm going on a safari. You would use that word that you are traveling. And why would I say we're going on a safari? I want to just take a few minutes before I open the word of God to explain what we do. Uh, we haven't been here for a while, and um, many people actually in the past few weeks we've been here said, are you going to tell us what you do? So I thought it would be good to explain. I don't want to take the whole time. Uh, but we work for, work with an organization called Emmanuel International. And Emmanuel International is a non-denominational missions organization that has projects in seven different countries, and then they have home countries like the U.S., Canada, and uh, the United Kingdom, where they send missionaries from. And the whole idea is to partner with churches. So we believe in our missions organization that the church is the solution to meeting needs, and the church is the solution to evangelize. So we partner with three churches in Tanzania, the Anglican Church of Tanzania, Pentecostal Holiness Mission. These are all denominations in the Tanzania Assemblies of God. So we work with th these three denominations. In Emmanuel International, what uh, their kind of tagline is, somebody says you need to have a tagline to explain somebody, an elevator, uh, some people call it an elevator line. If you're in an elevator with someone, how do you explain them what you do? So what we do in the next slide is um, we partner with churches to serve the poor in their communities. So that's kind of just the real quick tidbit. What we do, overview, is we partner with churches to help the poor in their communities. And we do something called, we believe in something called holistic mission or holistic ministry. And holistic is a word that is sometimes used in kind of Eastern religion or whatnot. But what holistic means is ministering to someone holistically is to minister to all of their needs. Uh, so we as human beings, we have spiritual needs, but we also have physical needs. We have economic needs, emotional needs, psychological needs. The list really can go on. Uh, so we believe that as Christians, we are to minister to people holistically, not just spiritually. So not just to go to Tanzania and just preach the word of God and forget that the person you're preaching to has no food to eat after church on Sunday. So people also have physical needs and uh, economic needs. They don't have finances. They don't have uh, a job or whatnot. So all of our projects have a holistic approach. So if we're teaching beekeeping, we want to teach spiritual sides in there too and teach the word of God within our beekeeping or whatnot. So that's the idea uh, overview of kind of our organization. And we have uh, Samantha and I are the country directors for Emmanuel International Tanzania. So we do a lot of administrative work and kind of a lot of, um, I don't want to use the word management because we have a really great team, um, but um, leadership uh, within our team. And you know, we work with two other missionaries uh, that are there in Mwanza with us. And then we have 10 field staff, field project managers, who are working, that are local Tanzanians that are working within our mission organization, helping us run projects. Because we're doing a lot of projects, and it's a lot of work. So we have 10 different projects that we're working on. And I, like I said, I'll just take you on a short 
safari of those projects and what we're doing. Uh, the first one is in, we work in three regions in Tanzania, it'd be like three different states. Um, and the first one is in Iringa, and we have water projects there. We've done water projects there for a number of years. Um, the current one we're on is called the Ibumu Water Project, and is in the village of Ibumu. And here at this secondary school, you see in the picture here, we are building um, big water tanks that come from, a, the water is pulled by gravity from a river that is three kilometers away. Um, currently, the people in that village, uh, to get water, if there's no rain during the rain season, they walk those three kilometers to collect water. So it was pinpointed as a village that needed water uh, desperately. And so we had a water engineer from England come and work with us and fundraise. Uh, so they're building storage uh, water tanks, and then there'll be different water access points in the village to, to access water that people then can come and get water from. Uh, so the schools involved in it, our organization has helped build buildings in the school in the past, and the church is a part of the project as well, the local church, in um, putting this project together. Uh, the next one is called our Imarika project, and uh, this project combines uh, different um, activities in the community. So we work in seven different communities, seven different villages, and every project is based in the church but the project is for the community. So our mission is to reach the community, like I had said, to serve the poor um, in the community, to partner with churches to serve the poor in the community, because we want to teach the church and churches to reach people. So group members can be from that local church, or they can be from other faiths or of no faith, and the idea is to help bring people to the love of Christ through that. So we have Muslims sometimes a part of these projects. We've had... Um, Catholics, nominal Christians, people who um, don't want to practice uh, Christianity at all, but we invite them to join our projects. And um, so the Imarika project has various uh, parts. A big thing is tree planting um, and tree nurseries, uh, especially in avocado trees. Uh, so it is how to grow the seedlings and then to sell them and also to plant them on their land because uh, fruit tree farming is very uh, beneficial and very successful in business. Uh, but they also do some beekeeping. Uh, they do, biggest thing they do is what we're going to use the word vicoba. I'll say it a few times, and what that means is village community banking. And it's a way for the people in the group, they all buy and sell shares, basically. So everybody becomes a member and places like a, a membership fee and a monthly fee they pay into it, and then you can buy shares and sell shares and take, basically, so they borrow and, um, borrow and return money on interest and collect money that way. So we don't put any money into it. No giving goes into it. They start all with their own money, putting in a few dollars at a time, borrowing, you know, $20, bringing back $22, this type of thing. And one of our groups in Aringa has, uh, I'm pretty sure I said 7000 I hope I said the first service. That's what I'm understanding. They've saved $7,000. Uh, in money, just from their own money, not anybody else's, by bringing in contribution and then borrowing off it, bringing back interest, and, you know, revolving around any of the group members can, can borrow on and return. So they do those groups, um, and then, like I said, there's Christ-centered uh, teaching to all of it. The next one is Health for Development. It's a newer, smaller project that is working in th uh, three different villages teaching uh, breastfeeding nutrition to uh, young and new mothers, along with Child, child nutrition, uh, toddler, infant age nutrition on uh, raising children and giving them proper nutrition. 
Um, so it's working at bringing health changes and making sure that children are properly fed or getting education, helping mothers with it, along with um, they're doing some chicken projects within it as well. Uh, but the whole idea is to teach um, good health practices, hand washing, all those types of things to avoid disease with children. Uh, the next one is entrepreneurship. And this is in Mwanza in the region we live in. Uh, actually, Abundant Life Fellowship helped sponsor this project, I think, two or three years ago. Um, and what this project does is we take groups from different churches of five people where they have been able to borrow money to start a project and return it so we don't give out free money. Um, they do have to return it. Uh, so they borrow anywhere between, as a group of five, member between, five members, anywhere between about 500 as high as $2,000, I think we've given out loans. And so most of them are doing livestock, agriculture, are kind of the most successful businesses that people can work on. So again, these projects, we've given them, I mean, there's a lot of components to it, but we've given them entrepreneurship training, all of that before they start it. There's monitoring, evaluation, and then there's a lot of discipleship that we do within the group teaching um, the Word of God and putting discipleship together with it. And so that project has been successful. Our next one is uh, health and sanitation. This is on the island of Kome. We live on the shores of Lake Victoria, which is the second largest freshwater lake in the world, very large lake the size of Ireland. There's many island communities in Kome, and the islands are very underdeveloped. And so on Kome, we do a health and sanitation project, and it started out with uh, breastfeeding nutrition groups and also putting them together with Vicoba. So we value add all of our groups with Vicoba, as I mentioned, as these savings and loan groups to help economically empower members, majority of women. Uh, but also the sanitation part, we've done um, a big drive for clean toilets. There's a lot of toilet-borne diseases um, uh, due to diarrhea, uh, whatnot are caused from not having a sanitary toilet or a properly dug and built latrine, pit latrine. And so you can see in the hands there, this guy, he's got uh, what's called a sato pan. It is a toilet, uh, a toilet pan that helps, um, it makes the area sturdy because other times some of these pit latrines can break, uh, but also it helps keep flies clear. It has a, a lid and closes, and it's help, uh, it helps reduce toilet-borne diseases, especially among diarrhea amongst young children. So we have training in that, toilet training, and talking on that on Kome Island. And then the next one, I think, is girls' menstrual health. Um, this has been one of our more successful projects recently. Um, and our, one of our other missionaries leads this project in the village of Igombe and teaches it in five different schools. Um, menstruation education is not um, taught. Well, it is a bit in the culture, in, 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 uh, in Tanzanian culture, and in some cultures, not every single home, but in most of the village cultures, it is taboo for a mother to, to talk to her daughter about um, menstruation. And so a lot of girls are lacking menstrual health um, resources and knowing. So a lot of girls are entering into uh, their menstruation cycles not knowing what it is, or they are taught or told rumors and beliefs that aren't true, not just with menstruation, but also with sexual reproductivity and, uh, and sex in general. So this uh, project is working in five different schools. Um, and over the three-year period, um, uh, thousands of girls are receiving what is called a dignity kit. And so the schools actually allow us to come in on behalf of the church and with the pastor 
and we teach on uh, menstrual health. So every girl receives what's called a dignity kit, which they receive two of these reusable pads that are washable. Um, and by standards, I think they can be good for up to two years, uh, but really if they're cleaned well, they can even last a girl a lot longer. Because one of the bigger issues is also when a girl is on her um, period, she misses the days of school uh, because she doesn't have the education or the tools needed to be able to stay in school, such as these pads. So the idea is to keep girls in school so they're not missing uh, you know, lectures and classes, and then when it comes time for exam, they miss things because they had missed days of school. So each girl receives uh, two of the pads, a book um, that's about the transition. It's a, it's a Christian book that talks about, and written in Swahili, about the transition a, a, a girl goes through into womanhood. And um, she also receives a pair of underwear and uh, a bead bracelet that talks about the, the, we used to do them in Sunday school. I don't know why I'm blanking out, but there's the, Yes, the parts of salvation, the blood represents that, you know, all that kind of stuff. So then they are invited to the church, and it's been a really big blessing in that community to the church because uh, we've been being able to teach in the schools, invite them for extra things at the church, which has helped grow the church, but also just be a real big touch to the community. Um, additionally, we've just received funding to build um, and restore in two of the schools uh, toilet blocks at the schools because some of the schools they have not enough toilets for amount amount of kids that need to use them and then when we're talking of training girls to be able to stay in school and be able to take care of themselves when they're going passing through their days if they don't have a clean and good place to go change uh, you know our, our teaching could be in vain and so we've redesigned some of them will have what will be a dignity bathroom that will have a mirror and a shelf so they can put their stuff on to help the girls be able to, you know, find someplace clean to go. Um, but also the toilets and, you know, to those places, there's not enough toilets and most of them are broken, not working well, uh, or no running, the water isn't working. So we've just received funding to, receive, to, to do two new blocks at two different schools and to refurbish, they had a rain water harvesting tanks that are broken, but to refurbish those. So that's something we praise God that we'd received funding for to do. Um, the next one is environmental, integrated environmental renewal. And so this project is very much like the Imarika one I mentioned, uh, where we go and we have seven villages also on this one. This is in the Mwanza region, where we have groups, in, people from inside and outside the church, and they're doing various activities. Uh, they have dairy cows. Uh, so uh, once the, the, the cow gives birth, and the next member gets it, and the next member gets it, and the next member gets it. Um, but also teaching conservation agriculture, uh, different rotation of crops, uh, different types of seeds. A lot of people are just doing what they've done for many years and haven't been taught newer, improved um, um, farming methods. So um, diff using different types of soils, crop covering, mulching, all that type of stuff, as well as there's a, a Bible program in this project. A lot of people don't have Bibles, so. They can buy a Bible for 50% of the cost through the program. Um, and there's also um, Bicoba, as I mentioned in, in there. There's sports. They're doing some sports thing in the schools to involve children. And the Jesus Film, we also have a Jesus Film outreach that goes through that project, uh, which draws crowds, which has always been a lot of fun. Uh, and then the next one is Pastors Training. This is a project that actually hasn't started yet. 
uh, but we have started doing some building work. Uh, we had seen a need to start to help pastors as well, as many of the pastors in our churches are in financial need and economic need themselves. And uh, we recently had a pastor, uh, I, I, some of our, 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 our field staff came to me and, and said, we have problems, we need to do something, because one of the one of the villages we're working in, uh, the pastor has five kids. He was renting a house that was blown over in the wind, so he was living in somebody else, a room in somebody else's house, and he was doing illegal fishing in the night with small nets uh, that are considered illegal to make money. And so they said, how is this pastor a witness in the community if he's not even doing uh, illegal work, um, let alone... We have something we call handover in our projects where we want to hand over all our projects to the church. It's not for us as the missionaries to, to rule them for you know, all the years to come. We want to successfully give it to the church to continue on and then we can start something else. So they're saying, how can we hand over a project to, to a pastor that has nothing himself? And so it wasn't just the cries of him. Many of our other pastors had been, are struggling uh, in the village areas because we are trying to go to the poorest of the poor communities. And so many of the pastors in those areas are poor. Um, so we want to try to help the pastors we're working with with education on income generating projects that they can start themselves to help earn some income because many churches, the offering plate passes and it's five, six, seven dollars. So there's no salary in there for a pastor. If, if on a Sunday there's five dollars that comes in and I mean, we've spoken at churches small, little, I'll show you a little picture here in a little bit, I mean, small, tiny little thing with 10 to 15 people, and, you know, the, the, the offering is, is, is just a couple, couple dollars, if not even less than a dollar, and they want us to take it as like an honorarium, which is very humbling. Um, so, that being said, our pastors have great need. So, our church, our partner church we're working with has a, a big strategic plan to plant thousands of churches and train thousands of pastors. And so they need to build church planting schools. And we had an individual in Canada who wanted to help um, build. So we had started building these two buildings. Uh, but the idea is that when pastors are there training to become new church planting pastors, when they're not there, I'm sorry, we will train pastors who've already planted a church on income generating projects, improved methods of farming um, in agriculture, and microfinance, these types of things, and use our church, our churches in the city have successful church members who've done well in business, agriculture, different things, and so empowering church members, not ourselves as missionary, but empowering church members who have been successful to come and help teach pastors on some income generating work. Um, so be praying for that as that project starts. There's opportunities, I think, for maybe this church to get involved, so I'd put that out there, um, and helping fundraise for this project. And the next one is beekeeping. The last, oh, there's two more beekeeping. In Mwanza, we have beekeeping groups. Um, we have six groups total, three that have been started for a number of years that have gone on. Um, and we've got some expertise to come and help us in the art of beekeeping um, through a charity in the, the, the UK. Um, right now, we've shifted our focus on Tacome Island, where we've been working, and we are working with women beekeepers. We're putting training women to be beekeepers. And so uh, we're starting up three groups of 30 women each. And over three years, they each get uh, three hives. So after three years, there'll be 270 hives hung. 
in the various forests around on the island. Um, so beekeeping is a great project because it's a low um, labor, pro you know, it's a low labor. At the times of harvesting, there's a lot of work, but for the most part, you just have to come and check and make sure there's no, um, you know, pests or, you know, anything has destroyed it. There is a lot of craftsmanship and art to it, but we've seen good success in some of our beekeepers in the groups that have been established for a while. They harvest twice a year and they can make $100 to $200 each off of a harvest, um, which is a really good added income for somebody um, indeed. And then our final one is we've opened a third office this last year in Tonga. It is a region in the north uh, east part of the country. Um, and we have just started to do build relationship with the church there. Uh, we believe really deeply in building strong relationship with our partner church. And so um, our field staff are there visiting churches, working with church leadership, putting together ideas on what kind of projects we can do. The area is about 95% Muslim. Uh, it's a coastal area, and um, it is a very rural area, along with being um, a very poor area. So these are both churches. You can see here in the picture, um, the churches are very underdeveloped and need um, a lot of uh, work. And so just be praying for us as we start there, what we should do and how we should help, that God would lead and direct us on what kind of project would be best. So that is our safari I said we would take you on. Um, I didn't want to take a ton of time. I didn't know if I should talk too much about it, but people kept asking me, are you going to say, are you going to say what you guys do? So I thought it would be good to give a overview, at least, of what we do. Um, we don't get to go to all those places every single day. We do a lot of administrative work, and we're able to have our field staff and empower them to do a lot of um, the work in the village. Um, so we do a lot of writing of reports, and, you know, so it sounds, might sound... Somebody who's adventurous might look glamorous if there was pictures of elephants up there. And we, but there's a lot of work just behind a computer and checking, you know, checking emails and writing a report or reviewing a report or putting together a proposal or different things like that. But it's really a blessing, and we're really thankful for what God has given us to do there. Um, today I would like to talk about missions and how we can engage in missions as a church. Um, and what we can do. And I just have three little simple steps uh, we'll go through quickly today. Um, three actions we can take uh, to engage in missions. I know I want to take this opportunity to talk just about missions instead of something else to talk about it. Before we read the scripture today, I just want to talk a little bit about the end of, um, we all should be familiar with the story of Jesus. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he came to the disciples and um, he, he empowered them uh, with, with the great commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And we come to Acts, and the, the Holy Spirit comes and meets them as he's promised would meet them. And Pentecost comes, and right from there, Peter immediately goes out and starts preaching in Acts chapter 2 right away. And... Um, from here we come to our verse uh, I want to read today and kind of share a little bit about after he comes preaching, we come to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. If you want to open your Bibles, it's here on the screen. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, I'll read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to uh, be able to talk about Tanzania, to be able to talk about uh, missions in the nations of the world. Lord, we just pray that as we open your scripture, you would uh, open our hearts to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I was mentioning, we're talking about the uh, apostles teaching here and how the people were devoting themselves uh, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the book of Acts is uh, the missionary book, but it is also the building of the church. And we see all these stories of these missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and Silas and, and so many amazing stories. And we see the church growing here, even in the last verse, it says the numbers of those being saved, numbered daily, those were being saved, were being saved daily. And uh, we see a great church growing here. But the very first thing we see here that they talked about is they were breaking bread and to prayer. And so many times people can ask, what can we do for you? How can we help you? And so I kind of want to talk about these three things. But the very first thing that you can do for the mission field or you can do for us is to pray. Here we see the early uh, apostles, the disciples, the early church, they gathered together and they prayed. I really think a lot of us could use some prayer right now. We could use some prayer. Um, we've made it through the Christmas season. We've made it through 2021. We're in a new year. We've been making it through with this pandemic. Uh, and we could all use prayer. Uh, I heard a story on a podcast the other day, or a few weeks ago, of a missionary. And it was a missionary podcast. And, and he, I'm going to steal what he had to say because it's what we need. So it's the same thing as what can we do is to pray. But I like the way he phrased it. And so if someone asks what you could do for us, what we would ask, what I would ask is to turn off CNN. <laughs> A few laughs. Okay, I got one amen. Okay, another one, turn off Fox News. Okay, we got some more amens. And get on your knees and pray. We need prayer right now in this nation. We need prayer in this church. We need prayer for Tanzania. We need prayer. And really, that's the single best thing you could do for your family. The single best thing you could do for this church is the single best thing is to turn off. We, I'm saying CNN and Fox News, as he was saying, because I think that's a big distraction to us right now. But every distraction. And to pray. And we live in this 24-7 world society where we can't even sit still for five minutes, let alone pray. People don't even want to sit down, even if we're in the line at Walmart or if we're in the line at a bank or whatever it may be, we've got our phones out checking something because we can't sit still. There's got to be some source of information coming or something to make us laugh or something to make us happy. We can't sit still. And we've become so enamored with what's going on around us, it's easy to lose, it's become easy to lose track of the 
the importance of prayer and the time to take to pray. We need to pray. And many of us struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. I have to admit, there's times I don't feel like praying. There's times I feel like I've hit a block and I don't know what to do and I just don't, can't get through that breakthrough. Uh, but I want to encourage everybody this morning to start praying. Um, there's no formula to it. There is no set amount of time the Bible says you have to pray from this time to this time or for 10 minutes, a half hour, an hour. Um, there's no formula in the way we say you have to say a prayer. We believe in this church. Um, there's nothing wrong with, I, I personally believe there's nothing wrong necessarily with a memorized prayer. I think it comes from where it is in your heart. Um, so for God to hear your prayers. But there's no formula. There's no way it has to be said in a certain way for God to feel it. You need to say and feel what God directs. I saw a quote the other day that said, never limit your prayers because you think you are sinful or undeserving. Let me stop right there a little bit. Never limit your prayers because you think you are sinful or undeserving. Isn't it easy when we feel shame, when we feel like we've done something wrong, or things in our past have hurt us, it's very easy to feel like we're not to pray, to stop, to hold back, that we're not worthy, we're not good enough, that I'll do this later. But the quote goes on. Let me start again. Never limit your prayers because you think you are sinful or undeserving. You are not praying because of who you are. You are praying because of who he is. We don't pray because of the good things we have done. We've become a pastor. I've become a missionary. I've done all these things. I am now the one to pray. I have this authority and this power now because of the things I've done. No, we pray because of who he is. Or it's not the opposite. We're afraid to pray because we haven't done things right and we're not good. And a lot of us, and myself, I'm willing to admit, we only run to prayer when bad things are happening. And I've been faced with that my whole life. My prayer life is nice and strong when there's more challenges going on. Because there's something that we need to pray about. Because things aren't going our way. And it's, oh, we better pray. This was a dream. It was a bad dream. Something's wrong. I'm going to pray and wake up in the night and pray. But when things are going good, you just keep sleeping. You know, <laughs> keep sleeping, right? It's easy for us to get caught in that. And it's so easy for us to get caught in that we don't feel like we are worthy enough to pray. That God doesn't want to hear us because we're sinful. We've got bad things going on in our life. But he wants the opposite of that. And we just say, oh, when, 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 I get, when I get this thing worked out, then I'm going to start praying and God will hear my prayers. Or when I, when I start to feel a little better, when the summer comes, when, when there's change, when this, when this issue is resolved, then I'll start praying because I'm not at the place where I should be praying. But God is not that way. He wants to hear your prayers right now. Who you are, however you are, he says to me, come to me just as you are. And he is waiting to hear from you. There's nothing that blocks you from being able to pray from He wants to hear from you. And other times we look at God to praying as he's like a, our boss or a manager or somebody who we have to, you know, make sure we're perfectly in line with before. And now I believe the Bible says to fear God many times. We are to fear him. And we need to align our hearts with him. And we need to come to him with forgiveness. All of those things. But we, we stop ourselves from praying sometimes because we think of him as this far-off object that we are 
unworthy of or we shouldn't even go to or we have to do something right to get there. But I don't know if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus teaches us that if, if your son asks for, if the son of man asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if your son asks for, for fish, will you give him a snake? You know, so your heavenly father, for how much he loves you, I'm not quoting it word for word, he'll do more. Asking will be given to you, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to ask. He wants us to pray. He's not stopping us. So prayer is effective and it works. And we need to talk to God and talk to him as a friend, as a father. He will hear our prayers. Sometimes other people, they don't know how to pray. Even someone after the first service told me when they first became a Christian, they didn't know how to pray. They would hear other people pray and not how to do it. And, you know, some people are really good at starting a prayer, very good. Heavenly Father, Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they go through every, <laughs> our Lord, Father, who came this and starts quoting everything, and, and other of us, we can't even start to say anything or know what to say, or we stumble on our words and, and whatnot, but what's important is we just get the words out. We just say it. it's not, God, God knows what we want to say. He knows what's in our heart. He just wants us to take the step to move with it, to align our heart with him. It's nothing wrong with a nice, beautiful prayer like that, but there's nothing wrong with just saying, God, help. Um, I've heard a story I like to say when I talk about prayer a lot of Dan Rather. Uh, he was a news anchor. I think he's retired for many years, but he was a news anchor. One time he, he interviewed Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa um, was a woman of prayer, and she was said to pray for an hour every morning, um, very early in the morning would pray for an hour. And so in the interview, Dan Rather, not familiar with prayer or Christianity, I'm not really sure, but asked her, okay, so you, I hear you pray for an hour every morning. What, what do you pray? What do you say? And uh, she says, oh, I don't say anything. I, I, I'm just listening. And uh, so he didn't really know what to say. He kind of took himself back and he says, okay, so well, what's God saying? And uh, she said, oh, He's just listening too. <laughs> and she said, if you don't understand it, there's no way I can explain it to you. And uh, I like that because sometimes we don't have the words to say, but we can still go to God. And we can still pause, put the phone aside, put the TV off, whatever it may be, and go to him. And maybe we're in so much pain or we're in so much heartache, we don't know what to even say or how to start, but he's listening. He's listening. So I would encourage everybody to pray. Find a way to pray. And like I said, it's one of the best things you can do for us is to pray for us. Pray for Tanzania. Pray for our projects. But it's the best thing you can do for this church. Pray for the church, your family, the nation, the pandemic. You know, everybody's complaining about things going on, but if we could stop complaining and start praying, we would see dramatic change. Uh, verse 42, it says that they eagerly devoted themselves to prayer. Um, well, it's not in this one. Maybe it was in another one, but talking about eagerly, they devoted themselves. That's the word, sorry, devoted and it means being consistent. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount of when you pray, when you fast, not if you pray. It's not an option. It's not a, 
a thing to go to if you want to. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle. And so I'd encourage everybody to be in prayer. And when Jesus commissioned the disciples to go, he gave them the Holy Spirit, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And I would just encourage to pray. The Bible is full of, full of stories and commands of prayer. Jesus talked about it a lot. He went in the desert and fasted and prayed for 40 years. Uh, before he gave the Sermon on the Mount, it said he came down from the mountain where he was praying. Um, Jesus taught this, the, about the persistent widow to never give up in prayer. Um, back in 2020, when the pandemic started in Tanzania, and several other African countries, um, wasn't just Tanzania, but as nations started to close and do what they did um, in March or April of 2020, um, our president said, we're not going to do what everybody else is doing right away. And there was many things you could agree with or disagree with, and I could disagree with and agree with. But one thing that I agreed what he did is, is he took three days for the nation to fast and pray. And I believe that there's many reasons and many things talk about in different countries in Africa why numbers are down and there was less deaths. But I believe definitely in Tanzania, that we had seen less issues throughout the pandemic because people prayed for three days and fasted for three days for God's hand to be upon the country. And um, one of the many things I love about Tanzanians is their resilience to prayer. They're real prayerful people, and many Africans are real prayerful people. And Anglican churches, which we partner with, which we might think of here to be as quite reserved or quiet, People are very charismatic in their prayer, not afraid to pray out loud with the top of their lungs. Um, being on Facebook the past couple days or a couple days ago on New Year's Eve, I'm reminded that no church, at least in the charismatic or Pentecostal churches in Tanzania, no church doesn't do a New Year's Eve all-night prayer service. You know, and here if we talk of an all-night prayer service, everybody's cranky by about midnight. I can't make it to midnight, and if I don't get if I don't get to bed by a certain time tomorrow, there's going to be this problem and this problem and this problem. Um, and that's one thing I really love about the Tanzanian people is their commitment to prayer and uh, to do it. And so I would just encourage us all to pray, to pray for our nation. Many missions movements were started out of prayer. And people went to the nations because they prayed first. And uh, I believe if we continue to pray, God will do marvelous things. All right, I'll keep going here. I could keep talking about prayer for a long time. I like to talk about it. But the second thing I want to talk about is to give. To give. Uh, I want to just talk about what missions giving is a little bit. And um, maybe clear up some misconceptions not everybody understands. But a missionary, almost every missionary, it's very rare that it's not happened, but a missionary is typically supporter-funded or partner-funded. And what that means is people like you and missionaries' friends and family, they financially commit to supporting a missionary every month, whether it be $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, $100 a month, whatever. That is how missionaries go on the mission field. Um, so not everybody understands that is kind of how it works, uh, churches come alongside and support, too, from their budget. As Pastor Tim said, we are supported by the church also, but not everything. As we 
you know, have not, the church can't afford a whole entire salary for a missionary. So that comes to another question, why doesn't churches just pay them? Well, in the missions movement, as missions started around the world, the strategy of a support-funded missionary was we could send more missionaries if the congregation supports them. A church like Abundant Life can't afford to pay the salary of many missionaries all over the world, but if we as a congregation help little by little what we can, we can help monthly to send missionaries around the world. And many denominations, they've been very successful at it by, by what's called a support-funded missionary. So churches do support in their budget, but there's many things that go into a budget of a missionary, whether it be school fees and, and travel expenses and electricity and water, all the things you pay for in your home as well, as well as the needs that they meet in their projects and what they do. Um, Another question that I would like to clear up, it's not a question I necessarily get asked, but I would like to just mention too, is can you give your tithe to a missionary? Maybe you don't want to write your tithe, you want to give it to a missionary. We do believe that the tithe does go to the church, 10%, and what we give to missions should go above and beyond. Um, And um, so that is one thing we do talk about, is to tithe to your church and then give into missions. Uh, and then, you know, what does a missionary, you know, your support go to? So it does go to house, feed, and educate, and provide the needs that the missionary meets. That's what typically goes into missions fundraising. So I just wanted to clear that up. I think sometimes there's confusion on how it all works. Um, so we're blessed to receive support um, as missionaries, as support-funded missionaries. And then for the various projects, we get some support from churches and, and actually some from governments and grants that we apply for. But money really runs the world. It's how the world goes around. And as I talk today about the ways we can engage in missions, we don't always like to talk about money in the church, but money is how the church is able to move. Money is how church buildings are built and meets the needs of what's going on. Uh, so I thank everybody who um, financially partners with us And if you remember from our text in Acts chapter 2, the early church devoted themselves to prayer, but also in 45 it says that they sold their possessions and gave it to those who were in need. The Bible is clear and teaches us in many scripture verses about giving. Uh, We had a supporter for many years who um, gave to us out of her poverty. And it was hard to accept support from somebody who would say, well, you you, you need this, you need this yourself. But it wasn't that God felt that they were to support and it always remind me of one of my favorite stories about giving was from, from Luke chapter 2, sorry, Luke 21, 1 through 4. When Jesus looked up, he saw rich putting up their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of wealth, but she gave out of her poverty as she put in all she had to live on. When it comes to giving to missions, whether it's to a missionary, whether it's to the Butte Rescue Mission, whether it's to a project or a program, it's not about how much you give. It's about what you can give in the heart of what you give. And in Tanzania, I love to see people are very giving, even out of their poverty. And you can go to a church service where somebody might not have money, but they had extra eggs in the morning they were able to bring to the altar or an extra bag of rice from their harvest. Even our last guests, we had some guests come in June, and they came to visit, and there was, uh, in one of the villages, they came to visit, and they didn't let them leave the village without gifts. They brought them um, sweet potatoes and 
and green beans and papayas. And here these people come all the way from America, the land of vast wealth and have wealth, and some of the poorest people in the world are there giving. And we can never, ever, ever lose on what we give to God. In Luke chapter 6:38, it says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with what measure you use, it will be measured, measured to you. Many of us, myself included, can be guilty sometimes of being stingy and um, not feeling like we need to give to something or maybe this person's going to take advantage of it or whatnot. But God other times directs us to give. Now, if you remember the Christmas play, Mike Clemens was putting just his small coins into the, into the Salvation Army thing. He was giving stingily. And sometimes we can give like that. Other times we talked about tithing 10%. Um, I believe in the 10% tithe and what we teach in the church, but I also don't think we're supposed to do it religiously and rigorously. And the, to the point is where some people, they're arguing whether you're supposed to do your 10% before or after taxes. Or well, If you're getting into such a way of it, you're doing it out of religion, not because it's out of your heart. Now, I believe there's a mark we should set and we should set a budget and all of that. I'm not saying not to do that, but... I think God desires more than what 10%. He desires our heart and how we give. And so I would encourage you to continue to give to the local church. It is what the Bible teaches us to do, but to give above and beyond to the mission field, to support what God is doing all over the world. Um, it is what he's asked us to do. God loves a cheerful giver, and it's how we are able to do. And um, if you remember Luke 6:38. With what measure you give, it will be measured back to you. It's not about the amount. It's not about, it's what about is in your heart. And I understand it's hard to give, and I understand many times we don't have. And by living in a country where there is great, great need, we are seen as very wealthy. And everywhere we go, we go in a car, we are seen as extremely rich, whether it be street children banging on your window asking for money, um, be a security guard who works for us at night, keeping our house secure, asking for money, needs or problems that are raised in his family, people who want to borrow. Matthew, uh, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us to give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow from you. And so many times it's a challenge to come up and we try to help when we can, but there's many needs that come around us. And my wife has taught me when somebody wants to borrow, just give instead of you know, some people will ask, can I borrow money? You know, can I borrow $50 and return some each month? But try to give um, instead of putting that pressure on somebody. And I believe that God has blessed us when we've been able to give in our lives. And I know many of you can say the same things when you give. God has blessed you. Uh, so I would just encourage everybody, give to missions, give to your church. There are many missionaries all over the world that are in need of support. There are many um, Christian ministries in this um, city, state, country, in this church to give to. And it's one way that some of us who aren't able to go to a place like Tanzania or Indonesia or Russia, wherever it may be, but by financially partnering in ministry, you can be a, a great impact. And the final thing, the third and last one I want to talk about is to go. So these are three ways to engage in mission, to pray, to give, and to go. And 
I want to make it clear, all of us are to go to the nations. And the Bible is clear about that in Matthew 28, where he's, Jesus anoints his disciples to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, which is kind of like your city, your county, your state, your world. And so I believe all of us are to go to the nations of Africa, Asia, Europe, also to the United States, to the reservations, and even to Butte, Montana. And the world is a broken place, and I believe now more than ever, we need to go to the nations. We need to go to the nations. And we need people to proclaim the name of Jesus, not to be ashamed or to stand up to the name of Jesus. I want to talk about this verse here from Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 38. I think it's here where Jesus said, went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask of the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to the harvest field. We need many people to the harvest field. And another verse we talk about, um, many are called, but few are chosen. I always struggled with this verse, many are called, few are chosen, was why is God only choosing a few people? And I never really understood it. Why, like, if there's so much work to do in the harvest and so many things to do, many are called, but few are chosen. And it wasn't until I heard this, uh, a guy banning Leapster from Jesus culture teach on it and made sense to me, and he taught it that many are called, but few are chosen because when the call is out, nobody is coming. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So it's not that we're not chosen. He's waiting for you. He is waiting for me to say, I'm ready. So it's not that God is like, I'm calling all of you, but man, there's a lot of lemons in this room. I'm only going to choose one. <laughs> That's not the way it goes. The God is calling. He is calling, saying, come, come. The harvest is plentiful. Come, but nobody is showing up to the table. And so I believe now more than ever, we need people to go to the nations, whether it be Butte, Montana, or Mwanza, Tanzania. We need many people to go to the nations. I want to speak a little honestly today, and I want to speak from a place of humility and also a place that I'm guilty also. But I have been in the United States for the past three and a half years, and what most people will tell me, and I agree, there's been some of the greatest changes in the United States in the last three and a half years, whether it's been the political division, the cultural ideas, and the cultural division in the pandemic, there's been a lot of change. And so I myself personally feel like a lot of things are you know, quite different. And in um, June when we had guests come, somebody had warned me, you know, before your guests come from America, you know, they've been used to these areas where standing far away from people or whatnot, you know, you might want to warn them that, you know, it's not going to be like that because you get to the village and people are going to be right in your face talking to you, like projecting anything on you. You might want to warn them. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And, you know, I mean, I guess you understand it. You know what's going on on the other side of the world, kind of. Um, but there's been just different things that's like, oh, you know, wow, things have changed. Um, but I also, just through reading, news, social media, I am being here, I do feel like the state of the church and the, the United States is very divided, very divided. 
And um, throughout the election and political things, many young people in articles they've written and many things wanted to leave the church because of disagreements of, of political um, ideologies and ways of doing things, which has created these generational divides of classes, whatever we call the baby boomers and the millennials and all of this stuff. And then with the pandemic, another kind of what we should do here and what we should do there. And everybody's opinions, myself included, have gotten strong and sturdy. And it is somehow dividing us. Now, I'm not saying Abundant Life Fellowship, there's all these problems. I'm not here to speak out on all these people. I'm not saying that at all. But generally speaking, the church and the nation and young people and what's going on, there's a lot of division. A lot of disagreement. And now more than ever, we need unity, not division. And the devil's greatest tactic will be to divide us. If he divides us and gets churches to split and he gets young against the old, he's winning. He is, he is doing something to divide us. Driving people out of churches. I've heard of churches splitting over the idea of how to do church in a pandemic. I've heard of church in... And my friend goes to in Seattle, the first service is you wear a mask, the second service is you don't wear a mask, which might be a good solution, I don't know, but there is so much that has come, and there's all these polarizations and who to listen to and who not to listen to and what to believe and what not to believe, that all is true. I'm not saying that any of these things are untrue. I'm not saying we can't believe in any of these things, but in some of this, we've divided ourselves or we've hardened our hearts and we haven't loved our neighbor maybe the way we've done in the past. Or we haven't been able to go a little bit further. And I have my opinions that I've had and I've been frustrated and I've had to calm myself down and try to, to keep things to my, some opinions to myself or not get overly worked up. But I believe we need to go. The early church here was gathering together in each other's homes and people would be added to salvation daily, but we might be struggling with the opinion of the person sitting next to us in church. And I'm not saying we all have to agree. I'm not saying I have a set solution. We need to do A, B, and C and everybody do it. I'm just saying we should try to find a way to unify and to love one another. And also another thing we talk about is tolerance. Well, I'm not going to tolerate that sin. This is wrong. And I agree, we don't have to tolerate certain things but by having, loving someone, praying for someone, having someone over for dinner doesn't mean you approve of every single thing they believe in. And um, Jesus shows us this. I mean, Jesus was the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of all. And when he came, he crossed those lines and built bridges that we need to build now. And, you know, Zacchaeus, who was a famous child story, and we talk about in Sunday school, he was a tax collector and seen by the followers of Jesus as someone who steals from the poor. Yet Jesus said, what, well, I'm going to your house today. And he goes to his house and has dinner. Now, because he went to his house and had dinner with him, wasn't meaning, I'm tolerating all of your problems. It's, it's okay, just, but no. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus forgave Mary Magdalene and, and befriended Mary Magdalene, it wasn't because, you know, he wasn't tolerating her sin, saying it was okay. He was just simply loving. And so I believe that 
whatever it is, whether it's political divides or parties, political parties, or the pandemic, or a vaccination, or generations, or news sources, whatever it may be, we need to find a way to work together in unity as a church. And I am not trying to offend anybody or anybody's viewpoint or anything. I hope I haven't. I'm just trying to express that I believe we are stronger. And we, as a church, the devil will use that to divide us. All these polarizations, all of these ideas and these opinions to divide us when we really need to work at being a unified church to send people to the nations, to minister God's love, to be that people where numbers of salvations were being added daily, not people leaving or not people dividing, but working together in unity. And the nations of the world needs churches. The nations of the world need us. So, yeah, I would just encourage, I love the church, I love Abundant Life, I love the United States, and I do believe God has a clear vision and a direction for his church if we get together, we pray, and we love one another. Um, one misconception I want to say, I forgot to say this in the first service, but one thing about going to the mission field, sometimes people will say a sentence will be, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your sacrifice. Or, and another thing I listened to, somebody said, you know, why do you do what you do day after day, you know, year after year, being in the mission field? Why, you know, it's so hard. Why do you do it? And my greatest answer to this is it's not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. My life and 10 years now that I've been in Tanzania has been a blessing. There hasn't been one thing that I would say is a sacrifice to me that I've let go. It's all been a blessing to me. And we get to see people come to Jesus. We get to see people uh, economically refreshed in their life, gain employment, send their kids to a better school. Through projects we get to do, we've got to pray with people. We've seen different things. And that is not a sacrifice. It's a blessing. And so I just want to tell you and encourage you today, if you ever feel like that, going to the nations, don't think of it as a sacrifice. Think of it as a blessing. Whether it is going to minister somewhere, it is a blessing, not a sacrifice. I just encourage you that today. So there's many opportunities for you to go, whether it be the mission field. Right now, missions, interest in missions, people going to become missionaries is at an all-time low. And we in our organization can't find missionaries and people who are interested in going. There's a big, big need for missions all over the world. And so I would just encourage you Find what, you, what God is directing to you, whether it's here in Butte, Montana. Walmart is a big mission field. So you can go out to Walmart or the nations of the world. So just as we close today, um, pray for the mission field. Find ways to give and find ways to go. Um, if anybody is interested in becoming a monthly financial partner, you can go to the church website in the give section, and you can sign up for monthly payments, monthly um, deductions there will come out monthly. Or you can just come and talk to me. I can give you more information. You can also write a check to the church. If you would like to become an ongoing financial partner, um, feel free to talk to us. Um, yeah, but other than that, I would just like to close in prayer. Uh, we have a prayer team here, here today, as we do every Sunday, that are here to pray. Um, with anybody, anybody who has a need. So it doesn't have to be pertaining to the sermon. If you have a uh, physical need or any sort of need you want to bring, 
on behalf of somebody or whatever it may be to the prayer team, they're there to pray with you. But also, if you felt something in your heart today that God has touched you about the mission field, about doing something, uh, don't be afraid to come up and ask for prayer, for vision, and whatnot for the Lord to lead you. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll be around here a little bit after the service. You can come talk to me. So uh, as I pray, the prayer team can come and uh, feel free to come for prayer. Otherwise, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you do in our lives. We thank you for this morning. We ask that you be with us now as we go on with our day. Lord, we ask that you help us to pray. We need prayer in our lives. Give us that ambition to pray for our family, for our relationship with you, for the nations of the world. Help us, I just pray a financial blessing upon many people today as many of us Many people in this room might be passing through financial difficulties, Lord. We just pray for breakthrough in their lives. And Lord, we just pray for you to put something in our heart to go to the nations, to go to those who are in need, what you would have us do, to, to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. We thank you for this day. May you bless us as we go now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>